Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. Hey, Jared, thanks for being here. Let's start off by talking about uh, your time in the military. Before you got in the fire service, you spent some time in the Navy. But there's some similarities, obviously, between, to some extent, between the military and the fire service. But could you talk about your, your time spent there and, and how those lessons you've learned in the military have helped you in the fire service? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. So the military, uh, when I finished high school, I was just like any 18-year-old kid. I was confused on what the heck I was going to do. Walked up to a, a strip mall where all these recruiting stations were. And they were all together with the Marines, the Air Force, the Army. So I'm standing out there and I'm looking at posters. And this Navy recruiter walks out and he says, hey, uh, you should join the military. And, and off I went to the Navy. I tell everybody if it, if it would have been the, the Coast Guard guy that walked out first, I'd have been in the Coast Guard. If it was a Marine, I'd have been a Marine. I just went after the first one that took me. So went in, 18 years old, I got off to boot camp. And then when I got to my first ship, you know, the Navy is notorious for letting 18-year-olds work with million dollars of equipment supervised by a bunch of 21 and 22-year-olds. So you learn leadership very fast, I think. You know, it is very much like the fire service, and I think that's why I wanted to go into the fire service out of the military, because there was just a lot of similarities. And one thing I think the military does well is it, it trains its junior leaders in team building, conflict resolution, and things like that. So I was able, fortunately, I was able to get that at a very early age. So I, as I promoted on the ship, I went from just a you know grunt turning wrenches to a work center supervisor where I had about five or six guys working for me to the leading supervisor when I left the ship and I had about 22 sailors. So again, just like the fire department, all kinds of different personalities, people that, that love to come to work, people that hate to come to work, people that are, are challenges but are not challenges. I mean, it, it is apples to apples, I think, when it comes to the military, a small unit in the military and a, say, a fire station. So you're known well throughout the fire service. You speak nationally um, under the trial by fire brand you created. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So just like anybody else, I like to think we need strong leadership at the company level. You know, we, we need it everywhere, really, you know, from top to bottom on the organizational chart. But to me, I was very passionate about company level leadership and call it whatever, or small unit leadership in the military. I would see these middle level managers, I guess you can call them this, this middle, middle level leadership responsible for people, equipment, whatever the case may be. And there was just this apathetic approach to their responsibilities. And it just drives me crazy, you know, and in the fire department, I see it where, you know, these people will compete for these positions. They'll, they'll spend hours and hours upon studying. They'll spend their own money. And then they get into a position only to sit in their bunk room all day and they get out to eat dinner and answer the brass. So that just infuriates me. And that's kind of how trial by fire was born is because I wanted to, I wanted to let people know that that's not out there. Like, you know, there's, there's more to it than that. And my goal ultimately is to challenge those people in those company level leadership positions to, to be better company officers and to be better leaders through, you know, training and leadership and accountability and all those things, you know, all the stuff I post, I'm certainly not immune to it. You know, I'm, I'm far from perfect. All those things I put up there, I have to continue to do myself. But that's really how it was born. I, I was putting a lot of stuff out through social media on my just my personal page. And one of my friends says, you know, man, you should 
you should start your own thing, you know, and just see if you have a voice and anybody's listening and, and it just kind of grew from there. And I developed a course called Fire Service Mortar, the critical role company officer, and I go around mostly locally and I, I just teach, you know, values-driven leadership to people that are in those roles or looking to step into that position. You emphasize how important it is to lead from the front, but why is it that so many officers have an issue with that? I think one that they're afraid to get involved uh, actually in the training and, you know, like putting the gear on, putting the tank on, doing the drill, because I almost feel as if, you know, they have to have all the answers. They have to be looked at like, you know, there's no chinks in their armor. I was very lucky in my fire department career so far in the military. I've never worked for bad officers. I don't have any stories about working for horrible bosses. I just don't have them. I've always worked for great people, like great firefighters right next to me. So I was able to learn from my officers who set the example. You know, my captain was always one in his gear, on the floor, you know, getting dirty with us. Same thing with the firefighters right next to me. So that helped me. That was just, that's just kind of how I grew up in the fire department. So to me, it's, well, yeah, I don't get how people can't do that. You know, that's just how I was raised in the firehouse. So I think it's one Maybe they didn't they didn't grow up in the fire department having that type of officer or firefighters or that environment around them. Maybe they saw other officers, just that's how they did it. And the other thing is they're not really sure and they're afraid to get involved in the drill because, again, it'll damage that credibility. I'm the officer. I have to have all the answers. There's no chinks in my armor. I need to I need to, to display this, you know, this role as, again, not flawless, but no chinks there. Those are the two reasons that I think company officers don't get involved. Those are the two big ones that come to my mind. So on a company level in your firehouse, how do you go about creating buy-in for the things you want to get done? And then how do you facilitate, I guess, the growth or development of others and give them the freedom to kind of take charge on training or other things? So I think number one, it all comes down to trust, right? People have to trust you. So if you were to ask me, you know, you asked me, what, what does it take? I think there's three things that every company officer has to have inside of the station and I think if you have these three things, which I'll explain, the rest kind of takes care of themselves. So the first one is you got to be trustworthy, right? So you got to come in and people have to trust you. I don't care if it's, you know, ordering uniforms to taking care of equipment on the truck all the way up to the training that you're going to do on the fire ground. They have to know that there's a very little gap between what you say and what you do. You, you got to be able to, to have follow through. They have to be able to trust you. The other thing is you got to have a positive attitude. I think, you know, no one wants to come in and work for just a dud. You know, you come to work, you're positive, you don't throw smoke and mirrors in front of them, stuff is not going going well within your department or the your station or something like that, but you come to work with a positive attitude. And then the last thing, which I could certainly get better at, uh, is you got to be a good listener. You know, a lot of people, you mentioned people have these ideas, you got to know what pisses people off, what angers them, what motivates them, what inspires them. I think if you do those three things and then constantly communicate, you know, what the hell are we doing here? And it's hard to do sometimes, you know, when calls are down or fires are down, you know, just, that's just the way it is. Fires build morale. And, and some people don't like to say that, but that's just, that's just the fact of the matter. So if you have a positive attitude, you can be counted on. You're a trustworthy leader. You're listening to your people and you're constantly communicating that, that purpose, you know, what it is we're doing here. And obviously ultimately the mission of the fire department. It seems like your investment is higher than most. I mean, you raise money to be able to, almost give sponsorships to continuing education classes. You'll go out of your way to send out information and, and motivational material to people who ask for it. It's all free. So like what, why do you think you have the energy for that? And others don't. 
the reason that I, I do that is I want people to realize, you know, when people reach out to me, a lot of times it's about leadership and there's so much leadership stuff going on out there right now. And I think it's because people want it and they need it. So when they reach out to me, it's, Hey, I'm having this issue with my officer. Hey, you know, my captain's telling me that I'm training too much or I'm having this issue with the guys. I can't create buy-in. I'm ready to just give up myself. So what I do is I reach out to those people and I just let them know, like, look, there's ways to fix this. And I try to inspire hope in them. And, you know, sometimes it's only, you know, a sticker here and there or a little note. But I know there's hundreds, probably thousands of people out there who are struggling because they don't have that that sense of purpose that I'm talking about. They've, they've kind of lost sight of why they, they put their right hand in the air and that all the junk kind of cloud their vision. So I want people to understand that there's thousands of other firefighters that are equally just passionate, you know, but I want people to get out there. I want them to be surrounded by those types of people that when, when they go back to their station, they're fired up and they're ready to make change and, you know, change culture right there at the, in the firehouse. Uh, so that's the reason I do it. I just want people to, I want people to, to, to be as happy as I am when I come to work. I want people to just be as inspired as I am when I come to work because we do have an awesome job. When we go out, we help people. We do some pretty cool stuff. The camaraderie is unmatched, I think, unless unless you're in the military. I don't think you get that uh, in a whole lot of places. You know, you, you see it in the funerals and stuff like that, which is maybe a, a sad example, but you know, when a plumber dies, there's not a bunch of plumbers lying in the streets. Uh, you know, nothing against plumbers, but that's just not the way it is. So, uh, to truly make people realize what we have. That's why I do those, those things that I do. I mean, you know, we're big on fitness. I think the foundation to any well-rounded firefighter part of it is fitness, but what does fitness mean to you? So fitness to me is obviously very important. And and actually recently our department has really done a good job in trying to put focus on fitness. Our fire chief, I think did a great job. He instituted a, an annual incumbent testing, which we didn't have. So he tried to move fitness to the top of the priority list. He actually went around and bought all kinds of equipment, weights, treadmills, stair climbers, CrossFit equipment. You know, it's slowly but surely trickling into all these stations. You know, so now there's a visual reminder of just how important it is to to him and then to the department as a whole. You know, fitness to me is absolutely important. There's absolutely zero excuse you know i see you guys post stuff all the time you know once you once you put your right hand in the air and you took this position you lost the right to to be out of shape and to be lazy and stuff like that so fitness to me is absolutely paramount i think i told you a story one time i we went to a fire i had a rookie on the back and we're driving back to the station and i said all right uh you know what'd you learn tell me some stuff that you learned at that fire and i was expecting him to say something you know about advanced hose line or, or the force line entry we had to do he goes well i'll tell you one thing I realize how important it is to keep myself in shape because firefighting is some effing hard work. You know, that's, that's the first, this is the first thing he thought, you know, which was awesome. I just wasn't expecting that response, but it is it's just, it's what we do. You know, you, you show up and you step off the truck and you can't make it up a flight of stairs and you're out of breath just after pulling a hose line. You're no good to anybody. I mean, you, you're, you're just in the way. I mean, you're, you're letting the citizens down, the public, you're letting the people next to you down. And then really, you know, the thing that never made sense to me is if somebody doesn't want to keep themselves in shape for the fire department or, you know, what, they don't want to keep themselves in shape for the citizens, I mean, do it for your freaking family, man. If that isn't a reminder just for the quality of life when you go home, it's going to be good for you around the house and around your family, which will ultimately be better for you at work. You know, you keep yourself in shape for these reasons, for your family, which is a great reason. But damn, your career needs to be one, too. And if, if that's their only focus, well, 
you know, it'll eventually help them. But, you know, all the stuff you guys put on, there's, I'm telling you, man, there's been times where I've been walking through, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm just going to be lazy today. And I'm walking through the bay floor and I'll look on my phone and I'll see when you guys is posting. I'm like, shit, I'm getting in the gym. <laughs> I can't be lazy ass, um, which is awesome. You know, I, I think that's great. That's why you guys do it. But it's absolutely, I mean, it's just, someone could probably rate fitness as the number one thing that we need to, to have when we go into the fire department. Because really, if you don't have that, you're, you're not going to be able to do a whole lot else of what's required of us. Here's an interesting question, something I've noticed over the past few years. Whether it's on social media or go vis- visit a conference and you hear people speak or you watch people instruct. And I don't think the, the physical ability and maybe the fitness level matches the expectation that they're preaching. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, that, that they're trying to send this message that you know deep down they truly aren't living to. I can't buy into that. Like I I know that you're not physically capable of doing it, but you're preaching this ability to and this, I don't know. My favorite one's like, listen, usually I'll just push this two and a half while I'm flowing and moving down a hallway. And I'll be like, well... I'm going to need you to show me that. Because and I need you to put a pack on, and I need you to put fire gloves on, not work gloves. And uh, we're going to go around some corners, too. Can't be wearing jeans. It's probably going to be on carpet. Not concrete. Yeah, and I I agree that the the practice of that skill is beneficial. But you need it. to show me but you can do it. let's just be realistic. Like, I, I, I personally don't teach anything that, that you can't I do. can't show in that class myself. Yeah. What do you think? Oh yeah, and you know, there's I've I've heard people even get upset like when they'll have company officers or leaders and they'll get up there, you know, and they they'll throw excuses their way like, well, he's a great guy, he knows a lot of this stuff, you know, he's he's knowledgeable, he's a great leader, and all this. Like, you know, what? I'm sure he is, but he's 350 pounds, and let's be honest here, when put to the test, that guy's not going to be able to do his job. So when you know when you get down to brass tacks, if if that person in that position if you're a company officer especially and you're responsible for going in there and lead people and lead by example and from the front i can tell you for me maybe it's screwed up but uh you know i look at somebody and if i see they are hundreds of pounds overweight and they're not doing anything to fix it i mean that's just a sorry ass excuse for for a company officer i mean you just i don't care how good you are at your job you can't physically do it it doesn't matter at that point you know so when you lead by example it needs to be Knowledge, of course. Leadership ability, of course. But it comes to everything. Your fitness, your uniform, everything has to be from the front. Not just, you know, just cherry pick what you're gonna what you're gonna be good at and lead from the front with. Do you think the public notices what we notice? I mean, I've had people come up to me at grocery stores and they'll see, you know, other firefighters that are not in the best shape and I mean they'll call them out right there. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I mean these citizens are like, He's a firefighter, she's a firefighter. I'm a, yes, sir, they are. Well, you couldn't save me, you know, like they say these things and, you know, the public sees it and they lose trust seeing, seeing their first responders that way because that's exactly how they're thinking. So if two thirds of the fire service is overweight or obese, then where do we start? How do we change it? Yeah. So one thing I think that needs to be done, and again, I can only see things through my lens as a company officer and what I would do with somebody in my station. I found through my experience that People that need to to work on their fitness, a lot of times, I mean, they're not they're not blind. They know what they need to work on. But the other thing is, nobody wants to have that difficult conversation with them. You know, nobody wants to come up and say, "Hey, look, 
you're 100 pounds overweight, you need to do this, this, and this, and you outline some expectations and, and ways for them to get there. I mean, I, I have had conversations with people with people that are, you know, off the mark, and they've said, you know, no one's really ever said anything to me before. They just kind of, they just kind of left me alone. Like, oh, that just guy's that guy's just kind of fat and out of shape, and we can't count on him. So, I think first thing is we need to have those difficult conversations with people. You need to let them know, and whether it's tying it back to their job performance, which I like to do. I like to give specific examples. You know, hey Bob, you know you couldn't. You know, I I had one firefighter really challenge me. You know, like well. Prove it. I could do this. I could do this. You know, you're telling me I need. I can do just fine. You know, I'm like, oh well. What about this time? You couldn't make the third floor. So I try to give them those examples, and then they're bankrupt. You know, they don't have anything to say after that. It's they know, they know they need to work on it. So I think one is having the difficult conversation, and then if you have that ability, lucky for us, we have a policy that says you you have to work out 30 minutes a day, and that's cardio, weights, whatever the case may be. But we've actually created a policy where people have to do it. Certainly, like any policy, some people don't follow it, and that makes it easier for me, I guess, because I have something to fall back on. You know, like if somebody is is not doing what they're supposed to, it's easier for me, which I don't like doing, to throw policy in their face. But that one I will. And then I think you have to get out there and you got to be able to to help them as well. You know, in one case it was like, look, man, I'll I'll walk down the block with you. I'll walk around the block. Let me do this with you, so you feel like. The, the members in the station have some buy-in into why you're actually doing this. We're not just coming down on you saying, hey, man, you're a fat slug. You need to get, you need to get back in shape. Like, this is why we want to help you because you can be better at your job. You can uh, you know, have a better quality of life with your family. Um, so I think it just you know, how to get that started globally as a fire service, man, that's hard. You know, I, I always joke around that firefighters are inherently lazy. You know, we, we have a job where we kind of come to work. We hang out. We might do some chores in the morning, and then we kind of sit around and wait for calls. And either going to be the type that sit around and memorize a TV remote or they're going to do training and they're going to, they're going to work out. So, uh, and the ones that are sitting around and memorizing the TV remote, unfortunately, in a lot of our fire department systems, they can, right? Because all they really need to do is show up, put the ground on the truck, sign on the computer and answer the call when the brass hits and they're meeting expectations for the most part, <laughs> you know, it's just driving that message home of how important this is to, to their career, their family, and really to the people next to them, which is always another one that I like to throw at them. I've asked somebody, and I'll wrap it up with this one. I've, I've asked somebody, you know, if you had a, a truck full of whatever Smiths coming to your house to get your family, would you be okay with that? And I've actually had some people tell me no. <laughs> like, you know what? I don't think I would. So, you know, I tell them, well, that should serve as a wake-up call. You know, let's let's start doing something. It's increasingly important to make sure that as a leader, you're leading by example. But that is way easier said than done. Sometimes – cliche too like people overuse that term yeah but they don't really know what it entails yeah it's going out and it is showing the attitude and effort that you expect out of them sometimes days you don't have it like how do you suggest someone stay motivated when they aren't when they aren't motivated to lead yeah so the biggest reason i want to lead by example is i mean ultimately i want to set the example for my crew because i want them to I want them to leave wherever they go when they're not with me or they go to a different station. I want them to know that that's the type of leadership that can exist out there. It is definitely exhausting to try to lead by example some days because I'm a human being. There's plenty of days where I'm like, you know what, I've been, I've been going 100 miles an hour. I really want to just come to my station. I want to do some, some paperwork. I just want to relax. I don't want to. I don't want to tighten up my uniform. I don't want to, you know, do that. And that's just, that's just the honest truth. 
But what, what keeps me focused on all of the little things is the crew. Everything I do when it comes to stuff in the firehouse is for them. I take my position as a company officer very seriously. So, you know, I, I have kind of like my own personal ethos where, you know, whether it's, and I'll just stick with training real quick because I'm passionate about training. Cause you know, I get involved and I do training in the station and I get in and I, you know, I, I'm crawling around with them. I lead by example because, you know, if God forbid one of my, my crew members was ever seriously injured or killed. And I've explained this to my crew so they know my expectations and where I'm coming from. I say, you know, if this were to ever happen in this firehouse and your wife, your brother, your sister, your mom, dad, the fire chief comes to me, he says, Lieutenant Sergi, what more can you have done to prevent this? You know, how could we have stopped this from happening? My answer is going to be not a damn thing, you know, not a damn thing, chief, not a damn thing, mom, and dad, that I did everything in my power to ensure that those people went home to see their families. So the days where I'm like, man, you know, I just want to, I just want to hang it up for the day. I don't want to be, I don't want to lead by example. I want to screw off on a relax or whatever. I kind of look down the chain of command of my guys and I say, this is why I'm doing it. You know, this, they're the ones that help keep me focused and they're the ones that help keep me on the right track as far as leading by example, because, you know, we talk all the time about trying to make cultural change and, and do things in our department and, you know, leave legacies and stuff like that. And that's why, you know, I don't, I don't want to be known as the guy who, who got all metal hooks on all the ladder trucks. I want to be known as a guy who, who left a lasting impression on people and, and how I made them feel and what I taught them and stuff like that. So I think all of those little nuggets, the, the looking out for my crew, the legacy, that's what keeps me centered on leading by example. Cause you're right. There's definitely, it's hard. It's, it's easy to say it's much harder to do because it takes effort. It takes time. It takes me staying on top of, you know, training. If, I, if I'm going to tell these guys to do one thing, I got to be willing to do it myself and, trying to make myself the subject matter expert. So if they're dedicating an hour to it, then I'm dedicating two to make sure that I'm, I'm doing the right thing for them. So those are all the things that kind of help me, but man, you're right. It is, it is exhausting. It'd be, <laughs> I think that's why some guys say like, man, it'd be easier to just kind of ride the tailboard, you know, and, and not have to worry about doing a lot of things as a leader. And there's a lot of truth to that in some ways. So for you, what's a day at the firehouse look like when it comes to training? The biggest thing is I try to make it relevant. And I try to make it as realistic as possible. We're very fortunate in our city where we, and I don't know if it's like this in a lot of places, where we get a lot of buildings. So the fire marshals will get buildings, they're tearing down or they burnt or whatever. We could get back in there and use them. So I try to, I'm always trying to get in there. I'm always, as we're driving around, I'll stop, I'll talk to superintendents and construction workers and stuff. And I'm always trying to sneak my guys in the into buildings to force doors or or do whatever we can. So keeping it realistic is something I try to do. I have a big station. I have 13 people on duty at one time. So that's 13 different ideas. That's 13 different performance levels. So I have to do my best at seeing, you know, how am I going to meet, you know, this person's needs without making the other person feel like, you know, this is just, this is just a waste of my time. I try to include them. So what I do is every six months or so at our morning lineup, I go around and I say, all right, what is, what do you all want to train on? And I tell them, you know, look, it can't be something, it can't be the same thing you picked last time unless you really feel like you need to revisit it. But they all come up with topics. And then what I do is I pepper the training calendar, my own little personal training calendar with 
with their ideas and their topics and then we plan it and then we go from there. I try to mix it up. So, you know, I don't always want them in their turnout gear crawling around. I don't always just want them, you know, doing tabletop stuff. So I try to mix it up. One day we'll be out, you know, actually in our gear doing stuff for a few hours. Maybe the next day we just take the trucks down the street and walk around and we look at buildings. The next day we're in the galley and we review a line of duty death or we do something tabletop. The next time we pull a piece of equipment off the truck. So it's, I try not to make them feel like they're getting in a rut or, oh, here we go again with this same old training or, man, I'm searching the bunk room for the 150th time. I, I try to, get, again, mix it up, keep it relevant, and I include them in what type of training that they want to do. There's so many stories out there, and I have a friend who's who's dealt with it. Is He goes to a station, and he's really not doing anything out of the ordinary. He's just setting up normal training. But that station, you know, he's new there. So they're going through that whole storming process. You know, he's new there. And it's like, man, what the heck? This officer is making us come in. And he's doing training. And he's really not doing anything crazy. It's just a person that was in there before. He established this norm of very little training. So I think, like you said, you get in there, you create this routine where you come to work and it's just an expectation. Hey, guys, we're going to do this. And then they do everything else. I, I think another key thing there is you gotta you got to have that balance. For me, if we have a hard morning of training or something, I tend to leave the guys alone the rest of the day. I don't like to, you know, again, it goes back to that everybody thinks like me. If it was me, man, I'd be going in, we'd doing, be doing stuff all day long. I love it. But that's just not the reality of the people that I have. I got some go-getters. They love doing stuff, but they have their limits. And I have to know when they're getting ready to reach it. So there's definitely been times where I had uh, training scheduled and I could read the body language because I want it to be positive. I want them to want to enjoy it. And I've called it off. You know what? Let's hit it next week. You guys just take the day for yourselves. We're going to chill out today. You get your workout in. You run calls, study, whatever the case may be. I found that to, to really help. So how important is it to get to know your firefighters? You know, you're spending a lot of time with them every shift and you're training with them. And there's a lot of trust and rapport that comes with it. But tell us how important it is to connect with those that you work with. Man, it is, that is crucial. When I got my assignment, the guys, they probably don't know this, they're listening to this, I'm being a little stalker. We have a firehouse program, so I was able to go in and pull up their names. And when I pull up their name, it says, you know, how many children they have, their wife's names and stuff like that. So I wrote that stuff down, and I kept like a folder probably the first six to eight weeks that I was in the station. And as corny as it sounds, they would say something like, oh, yeah, my wife, uh, April, and my my son, Quentin, and my daughter, Madeline, I'm like, oh, Madeline, Quentin. I go write that in my little notebook, you know, and I would I would look at it occasionally and I'd say, all right, uh, John Rawlings, which who's my driver, you know, wife's April. She's a nurse. They got two kids. One's in a, a special program at school. He does this part time. You know, I really tried to get to know who they were. And I think, I mean, you have to do that because, you know, it's going to let you know so many things. It's going to let you know when to turn the heat up or down on training. It's going to let you know how to handle conflict. It's going to let you know how to do performance evaluations with those people. You know, the one thing I have in my program when I when I have my fire service mortar program, I got this slide up and it has a big building on fire and it talks about size up and how we spend a bunch of time sizing up buildings. Like you mentioned, like construction, we're going to pull a line here, we're going to have a water supply here, yada, yada, yada. We go through the whole thing and we're, we're very good at that. But we're not very good at that with the people that are in the station, you know, and and that's what we're dealing with 90% of the times. We're not going to fires every day. If you are, certainly shoot me a job application. I'll head your way. But we're not doing that, right? We're not going to fires every day. We're dealing with people every day. And if you don't get to know your people, 
you're missing the show. You're not going to be able to do so many things as a, as a leader or a company officer. Well, Jared, thanks for being here today. We really do enjoy everything you're putting out with Trial by Fire. Read your book, seen you speak, and it's really good stuff. Thanks, man. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on. I really enjoyed it.